uh, having some time with you. I hope and pray that it's uh, been a blessing to you. I, I really considered, thought about, actually do pray about what to, what to do, what to bring, and what to try to do to help uh, maybe to move you down the line. I think 2010, 11, 12, somewhere along in there, uh, I had the privilege of starting to come up here. Y'all have come a long way, if you think about it. You pause and ponder, remember the smaller beginnings of where you started a house and then a you know, little uh, place over there with the uh, wheelchair ramp out there in front down the road a piece and found you another place and then you got this place and I mean look at the difference that you've made in the place and, but there's some things that haven't changed. If you look back right now, if you remember back as little as 10 years ago, the trouble you're having today is very similar to the trouble you had 10 years ago. It's just in a different time frame, and you're older, but the trouble's still there, isn't it? I mean, trouble with your families, and trouble with your finances, and trouble with your friends, and people that have passed away, and people that have gotten out, and prodigals have left, and some prodigals have come back home. It really hasn't changed that much in 10 years. Can I say this? It hasn't changed that much since the garden. Because man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. I'm not going to preach tonight on death. I'm just going to give you some thoughts and some ideas that controversy exists nowadays as much as it did 10 years ago. Controversy was in existence back in the days when John the Baptist began to preach and he lost his head for it. Paul began to preach and he wound up having a life of misery, which is what ministry comes from. And power comes from that pressure. And that power to minister to other people comes from the pain that is is fraught with it. And the mistake that we make is, is that now that we're saved, we think, well, all that problems and difficulties should be over. No, they're not. Problems and difficulties are not over for anybody. It's simply this. Problems and difficulties are now You have beside you the Lord Jesus Christ to help you go through that, but he doesn't always remove that. Remember, before I get started, I won't be in the book of Jeremiah, but before we get there, remember in the book of Jeremiah, the Bible says, he's talking to his apostles there, and he says, Lord, uh, they're talking back and forth to him, and he says, the Lord addressing the apostle, he said, it is impossible, but that offenses should come. He pauses for a moment, takes a breath, and he said, But woe unto him through who they come. Better for him that a millstone be hung about his neck and cast into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. And then they talk about the forgiveness and so on and so forth. And then pass that passage there for, on the forgiveness thing and, and forgive him 70 times 7 and those kind of things. And then he gives the idea of the unprofitable servant. That's the individual that goes out and he works in the field and he comes in and he says in that passage, he said, which one of you being a servant comes back in and takes care of himself before he takes care of the master? He says, I trow not. I don't think so. That's not how it goes. But he takes care of the master. He does that which was his duty and responsibility to do. But here's the thing that he says after that. He says, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've just done that which was my duty to do. One of the things that the old preacher used to sort of repeat to me on a regular basis, I guess one of the uh, things that he thought was important for me to know and to understand is that two things are very important. Number one, you do it because you love the Lord and no other reason. 
If you're doing it for any other reason, then it's going to create problems for you long term. But the second thing he said is, what will kill you quicker than anything else and what will ruin your joy faster than anything else is the routine duty. Because you know what Christian life is? It's a lot of what we do all the time. You read your Bible, you study, you pray, people get in, people get out. You come to church, you read your Bible, you study, you pray, you give, you go to special meetings, you read your Bible, you study, you pray, you get up every morning, you fight the flesh, you fight with your wife, you fight with your husband. You fight with your kids, you fight with this and you fight with that, and then you read and you study and you pray, and it seems to be monotonous, doesn't it, at times? I mean, come on, let's be honest, it's difficult to just do the same thing on a regular basis. Here's the thing God's impressed with, He's impressed with the fact that you keep on being faithful. It's more important than people think of. They don't understand that you just staying at the same monotonous duty, doing what you're supposed to do, and standing at your post, whatever post that might be, that's impressive to the Lord. He knew when He made you. He could have killed you after He saved you and taken you right on to heaven. But what He did was, is He wants to find out, do you really love me? If you love me, keep my words. In other words, hold your position, hold your post. But guess what? It's not always easy because here's the conundrum. Here's the thing that's that kind of makes us wonder. If I'm doing what God wants me to do, why am I getting persecuted? You ever thought that before? Have you ever wondered before? I mean, if you haven't, you're not human. Have you ever wondered before? If you look in that Bible, you know what you see? You see every one of the servants that serve God, even faithfully, they wound up getting trouble. They wound up in having problems, difficulties. All of his apostles wound up dying. Historically, they wound up dying. Legend teaches a martyr's death. Well, that's interesting because Jesus Christ died a martyr's death. All the Old Testament prophets were laughed at, made fun of by the very people that they were trying to help. It's not unlike that today. Most of the times you're trying to help people. You ever try to witness to somebody, especially we're kind of coming close to the time of year where people gather, even though it's Thanksgiving and stuff, and maybe they have aught with their family members, but you try to get around and have some sort of a semblance of a family, and, and you can feel that tension, and sometimes family members are lost, and you do your best to try to get them saved. You're only trying to help them, and then they get mad at you because you're trying to keep them from going to hell. Has that ever happened to you before? Or you're trying to get them in the right church and get them away from the wrong church, but it's something you're trying to do to help. Or sometimes that happens with friends, and then all of a sudden you get attacked. I hate to say this to you, but it's true. Modern Christianity is teaching you that you've got to like everybody. You can't live the Christian life and like everybody. Sometimes you have to make some choices and say, listen, hey, I'm not telling you that queers can't be saved. And if you have somebody in your family that is queer, please don't turn me off right now. Please hear me out. Pray for them, witness to them, but don't expect me to like them or their lifestyle. Sure, That's undue pressure. That's wrong of you to do that. You're asking me to ask and to like something that the Bible says that the Lord hates. Now, look, I'm, in, I'm not maybe so indiscriminate as you might think. I mean, I have discrimination and I determine certain things and about certain attitudes. It's better for me not to be around certain things. People with bad attitudes, it's better for me to stay away from it. You know why? The law of gravity applies. And if I hang around them long enough, you know what will happen? I wind up talking like them. And before long, they rub off on me. I don't like to be around Debbie Downers or Donnie Downers all the time. I, I'm a realist. I, from what I used to do, I know what the real world is. There's plenty of that out there for me to get involved in. Where I have to work at is trying to maybe not be on a mountaintop, but at least be on a plateau and not be down in the ditch. 
Because in life can be pretty depressing sometimes. And if I sit there, you know what? The Lord tells me, I was singing that song, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be where I'm at here in just a moment. And I can tell you, when you get down in a hole and you get down in a pit, it's hard to count the blessings. It's hard to look back and remember the Ebenezer stones in your life. It's hard to look back and say, boy, God was good to me there and God was good to me there and God was good to me there. Generally speaking, when we wind up in a bad situation, what we usually do is, is we all of a sudden get spiritual amnesia. Usually the people that stand up to testify about how good God was when are people that are riding a high at that particular time. Things are going pretty well. I have rarely ever seen somebody at a funeral service stand up and say, hey, let me testify how good God's been to me because they just had a tragic loss. I've rarely seen somebody in a hospital bed that is dying from some kind of a disease or is struggling with some kind of a disease. I have rarely seen them stand up there and to say, hey, let me just say, God sure has been good to me. There are rare exceptions to that. But when you're laying there and you're the one that is infirmed, isn't it hard to remember how good God's been to you? And sometimes, don't you doubt at least a smidgen, a small amount, a little bit, that you may not come out of that bed this time? And so it gets kind of serious. I'm telling you that depression is very real. Discouragement is very real. And as Christians, we have to recognize sometimes the world is expecting something from us that he doesn't expect from anybody else. Not to be human. Well, you're human. And I told you last night, it's okay to be afraid. And I'm telling you tonight, sometimes it's all right to be discouraged. Just don't be discouraged too long. If you have your Bible with you, hopefully it's not the Living Bible or the New SV or the ASV or the ESV. Hopefully it's a King James Bible because King James has nine letters in it. Holy Bible has nine letters in it. And 1611 equals nine and that's three nines, so that's 27. And two plus seven is nine, so that would be four nines and four times nine is 36 and that would be a nine. So then that's five nines and five times nine is 45 and you add nine and five, that would five and four and that would be a nine. And, and then six times, that's 54 and then that would be nine and seven times, that's 63 and that would be a nine. And guess what? It's interesting that those three nines add together and the Lord might be trying to say something to you by just using numbers. He does have a whole book on numbers that are there. I'm sure you knew all that kind of stuff. But it's phenomenal to me the little breadcrumbs the Lord drops along the way. That's a perfect, fully infallible, inspired Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet in the Bible. Jeremiah was picked and he didn't get a chance to get picked. Jeremiah got picked in Jeremiah 1. We're going to go into old Jeremiah 48 is where we're going to be here in a minute. This is one of the famous stories about Jeremiah, the old prophet. I'll do my best to keep you guys engaged tonight. Jeremiah was an old preacher. He was picked from his mama's womb. He didn't even get a choice in the matter. You know what he was told? He was said, you can't go marry a woman. Jeremiah went to God's Bible school and got out and he was given a message to give to the king. He began to be the one that was the spokesman for God to the entire nation of Israel. He's trying to help the nation of Israel and every time he tries to help them, he gets hurt. Every time Jeremiah preaches a message, it's contrary to the very popular message at, the, at that particular time. 
Now, let me just say this about that. You're being taught nowadays that preaching is supposed to go along with or be complicit with what the world's views are. Nowhere in the Bible are they ever complicit with what the world said. No preacher was ever in line with what the world says. They're telling you nowadays that a preacher that gets up and runs contrary to the world's views, there's something wrong with that preacher. No, that preacher's right with God preaching to you what the Bible says because guess what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to be contrary. Listen, if you belong to this church or another church and you're visiting here, you know what I have the Lord's blessed me with? I think the old preacher prayed and, and uh, over a period of years and kept praying and every year he would come and he wouldn't say bless him with buildings and parking lots and, and bless him with this and bless him with that. He would say, Lord, give him some men. Lord, give him some men. Lord, give him some men to surround him, to watch over him, to care for him. And the Lord's given me some men. I can preach with great liberty to my folks and that kind of a thing. And those men in a sense, not literally, those men in a sense will gather around me and you got to come through them before you get to me. You say, why? They're protecting the truth. You have a pastor here that preaches the same way. He doesn't preach to please the world out there. He's preaching to try to help you. But you know what he needs? He needs somebody to back him up, somebody to support him, somebody to help him, somebody to say, hey, preacher, that hurt me, but it was right, and I'm still going to defend you when you do that. He needs men around him for this church to continue the direction that it's already going. The churches that you're in, if your pastor is preaching the way I think he's supposed to be preaching, then what you have to learn to do is, is recognize he's got to have that. Jeremiah didn't have that. Jeremiah didn't have anybody to support him. He was all by himself. He was all alone. Nobody but him and God. I mean, Jeremiah is a little bit strange. He's odd. He's unusual. And one place, the Lord's got him digging up, a, wearing a girdle over there, not like Spanx. You know, I see people in Spanx nowadays. They make them for men nowadays. The, the problem is, is I don't think they come up high enough. You can tell when the guy's got it. His legs look like toothpicks, and he's got this big floaty hanging out up top like this, you know. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, man, what's going on? I'm wearing Spanx, man. Well, your legs are not what looks bad, man. I mean, get you an inner tube or something and, you know, kind of tied around the middle. But he's got a girdle, and the Lord said, go bury it. And, and then he buries it and comes back. The Lord said, go get it. That's just weird. Now, we know there's a tight picture and all that, and we understand all that. Dude, Jeremiah didn't know that. And then another time he comes in there and he says, hey, Jeremiah, go down to the five and dime over there and grab you a yoke. And then guess what? Okay, Lord, but I ain't got no donkeys. Well, you look good to me, so you go ahead and wear it. Can you imagine a preacher walking around with a yoke around his neck? I mean, think about that. Now, I know what the tight picture is, but you mean, think about it. If the Lord said to you, I'm going to make you a tight picture. Let's say you're Isaiah. And he says, Isaiah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut the hind end out of your garment there, and you're going to walk around, and you're going to be mooning everybody while you're walking by, and it'll be a rising moon and a setting moon. You're either coming or going. Every time you're around, I'm going to use you as a tight picture. My goodness, man. I got a good one for you. How about Ezekiel? He said, Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay on your side for this many days and lay on that side for this many days. And I tell you what I'm going to do, Zeke. He said, I'm going to give you some uh, dung for you to eat. You can look up the interpretation of that, but that's waste. It comes from humans. Human waste? And so the commentators jump in and say, well, it's not really human waste for, for digestion uh, so they can light a fire with it and that kind of thing. No, it's for him to eat it. It's a picture of Jew in a tribulation. But he goes over there and he says, uh, Lord, uh, human waste, man, you've got you to be kidding me. He said, no, I want you to eat it. You don't think that'd make you feel a little weird? Yeah. 
A little strange, a little unusual. People walk by there and they're saying, man, that guy's eating human poop, man. What a, what a deal, man. That's what's going on, really. I'm telling you, it's odd. That's like, that's kind of human and kind of like nauseating at the same time. And Zeke says, Lord, I mean, could you cut me a favor there? I mean, do And he said, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. We'll trade it off. Instead of human waste, I'll give you cow dung. Oh, gee, Lord, now I know why they know to name it cow apples, right? You know, it's kind of like, okay, great. That's what they call it in the South. You know what cow apples are, right? They're about that big around. They're cow patties. It's poop. <laughs> Lord have mercy. These kids are like, what? It's not like apple like that. It's like, okay, whatever. You know, when you went out in the pasture in the old days, they'd always say you don't step in the cow apples. That means don't get the stuff on the bottom of your shoe. You got enough of the picture, right? Okay, do you understand? Here's what I'm trying to say to you. He was odd, he was strange, he was unusual, and he was a preacher. And the very people that he is trying to help, they're always trying to hurt him. They are never behind Jeremiah, even though repeatedly up into these 48 chapters, he's been right every time. He's never been wrong. But no matter how many times he's right, what he's asking them to do is always contrary to what they want to do. Good preaching will always make you feel like it's, that's not really what I want to do, but it's right to do. It takes spiritual character to be able to do it. You've got to have God's help to do it. That's another message. But let me say this to you. He says to him in this passage here, they want to talk to him. Look there in verse number one, and they're talking. I'm in Jeremiah chapter number 48. And the king comes up there and asks him some questions And so he says to him, Jeremiah, what's going to happen? And Jeremiah tells him what's going to happen. And now some people have conspired against him and they've come against him. And they say, you know what? Go ahead and take Jeremiah and put him down there in the pit. Do you see that? That'll be around seven or eight there on the right-hand page there. Do you see it? Can somebody find that? They're going to go put Jeremiah down into a pit, into the dungeon. Is it in that passage? We're in Jeremiah 48. Don't tell me I'm wrong. I got it in my notes. It's not in the passage. It is in the passage. What does it say? Help me, Jesus. No, we got to get this right. I, 38. That's how you take care of a Church of Christ. And Acts and 2.38. Sorry, thank you for trying to help me and trying to read something. I think what he means by this is, and maybe he's reading the original Hebrew because it's in there. Yeah, no, I was just completely wrong. 38. 38 chapters. All right, look in verse number 5. Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. And the offense has come there. They then took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek, and was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah with cords, and guess what happened? Let him down with cords into the dungeon, and there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sunk in the mire. Here's where I'm going to start the message today. If there was no water but mire, where did the mire come from? You know what mire is, right? Mire's mud. Well, if there's no water, then guess what? Something is causing there to be mud. You say, well, it must be moisture. No, it's no water. Well, then what kind of moisture would it be? Can I tell you what it was? It was human waste. It was urine. 
He's down in the septic tank. He's in the drain field. He's in the center part of the dungeon where everything is drained. There's a big hole, huge hole that's in that particular area. And they got it around that hole and they put him down with cords down into that place that drains down into the bottom. And over a period of time, that stuff winds up soaking down and they put it down and it stinks. It's where everything that is nasty drains to. The reason the mire is in there is because it's what comes out of individuals when they have to uh, uh, get rid of things as the body disposes. It's urine, okay? That's the bottom line. And so he's down there with cords, and then after they've done that, guess what happened? The Bible says he's sinking in it. I'd say he's sinking and stinking, wouldn't you? You know, one of the bad things about it is, is when you get in a situation like that, the harder you struggle, the deeper you go. Did you know that? We used to have a guy that worked for us. He drove a little track hoe that we had, and, and uh, he was pretty good at driving it. He was getting some cattails out from behind the a back of a place that we were working. That's like a little baby uh, uh, back hoe, you know, where it gets out there and grabs the stuff and spins around and dumps it on the bank and so on and so forth, and it had the tracks in it. And, of course, he's under the impression, and I would be too, that, you know, it can't get stuck. And he got a little kind of close to the edge there, and it kind of slipped off, but it was okay. He could move the tracks a little and get moving, and then all of a sudden I get a call and I happen to be at work and so I take off from work and I come down there. By the time I got there, the track hoe was up to the seat of the track hoe. It was sinking. And the more he tried to move it and then grab the claw and pull it and so on and so forth, the deeper it got. And what happens is, is the suction, the more that you get in that kind of mire, the more you struggle, the deeper you go. Well, very long story short, we had to call a big gigantic wrecker over there to be able to get what's called breakout force on that thing to be able to break the suction loose. And it took an awful lot of power. It took more power to pull it out than the weight of the machine itself. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is, is that when you get down in a pit, the interesting thing is, is that he is in a pit for doing right. He didn't do anything wrong. He's doing right, and guess what? They left him down there to die. You say, how do you know? Well, there's a guy by the name of Ebed-Melech that comes up. He's just a servant. He's just a slave. That's all he is. The Bible, Ebed-Melech, that just simply means the king's servant or out of the king's house. So he comes in there and he says, hey, king, they got a preacher down there in the pit and uh, he's going to die down there because there's no more bread in the entire city and they hadn't been feeding him and he has no water down there and it's dark down there and his movement is restricted. You ever been in such a depressing, discouraging situation where you feel like, man, the more I struggle, the worse it gets, the deeper I get and the more I struggle, the deeper I sink and the more I sink, the more I stink. And the next thing you know, you think, you know what? They're just going to kill me. And every time somebody comes by, you know what you're thinking? It's just going to be another load of somebody else's problems, somebody else's difficulty. And they come by and they spit on you and they wet on you and they throw mud on you. And you just sink deeper and you sink deeper. And you struggle and you fight against it. But you don't realize that suction just pulling you down. And before long, you know what it takes? It takes a supernatural force to be able to break you out of it. You can't get out of it on your own. You, the mistake Christians make is, is, I can do it on my own. Those people that used to do what we used to do on a regular basis, we get a little full of ourselves sometimes and we won't accept help. You know, how are you doing? Fine. No, no, I mean, how are you doing? Fine, I'm fine. That's a southern way of saying, don't ask me again, I'll put a fork in your eye. <laughs> that means I'm, I'm fine, I'll, I'll work it out. Some of you men are like that. Sometimes your wife wants to help you out. You know, I got it, honey, I got it. And then you fall off the ladder and break your fool neck. And, you know, and then she's like, I told you so. Call an ambulance and shut up, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, uh, the, somebody tries to help you out and you don't take a shine too much to them trying to help you out. 
You got it. Works on your pride, doesn't it? Works on your pride when you started a project and you think you can finish it and then you realize you ain't going to be able to finish it. And man, good night. You have to admit I bit off more than I could chew. Works on your pride, doesn't it? Well, Jeremiah's down there in a the hole for what? Preaching. Jeremiah's down in a pit for what? Preaching. Jeremiah's down there for being God's servant. He didn't do anything. He didn't let any words fall from his mouth. Even under the threat of death, Jeremiah says, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to be. King said, take him out of here. That king's a political pawn. He's being run by everybody else. Go ahead and take him down there. They didn't just take him to the dungeon. That's where the king said to take him. They put him down in the cistern. They put him down in the well of the dungeon. They put him down there in that sewer pit. That's where he's at. I mean, the worst of the worst. And guess what? They left the rope and everything there. They didn't intend to get him. They're going to let him die. He's so far down in that hole that people couldn't even hear his cries. They couldn't hear him whimper. They couldn't hear him moan. I mean, can you imagine the second they walk out of there with a lantern? They don't have lights like this around there. You flip a light on a switch and so on and so forth. There's no lights down in that place. It's like walking down under your crawl spaces and things. It's dark down there. I mean, there's ghoulie monsters down there, man. There's all kind of things down there and toad frogs and roach bugs and rats and snakes and everything that comes out in the dark and goes bump in the night and that kind of a thing. All that's down there. And as soon as they walk out, he's down there. He can scream until he he screams his throat red and bleeds and, and can't get anything else. Man, his tongue gets swollen up. He's got nothing to drink there. There's just mire and he's wiggling around. He can't see nothing. It's just like somebody has punched the eyes out of his head. Can you imagine that fear? Can you imagine how that would feel to be in that situation? I don't know about you. I'm a little bit claustrophobic. I don't, I don't like get too, too close with people getting in to me too tight. But put me in somewhere where it's real tight, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had to hook up a few people in my day and time, man. And I'm thinking, boy, if you cuffed me behind my back or you put me in leg irons and cuffed me behind my back and stuffed me in the back of the car and I knew I couldn't get out, I'm thinking, man, I might have a conniption fit, man. I might, I might try to kick the windows out like many of them did in my day. And I might bang my head on the cage to try to get out and make, just let me get out and let me breathe. I mean, think about the claustrophobia. You ever been down in a pit and just feel like no matter what you do, you're not making any headway at all? You're working and working and working and trying to make money to pay your debts out. Another bill comes in that you weren't expecting. And they're charging you and they've gone from charging you 16% to 18% and 18% to 25%. And then before long, guess what happened? You wind up running up a bill and you're thinking, man, I'm working all the time, but I'm not making any headway. You ever been there before? You ever been there in a situation where you feel like you've done all you can do to do right and all you do is every time you see somebody, they got something else wrong you did? It's kind of like, well, it's my turn in the barrel. That's where it comes from. Yeah, but sometimes, boy, that barrel don't stop. It's impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto them for who they come. Yeah, but whoever they come through, man, them offenses are a pain in the uh, rahunkas, aren't they? <laughs> And you're sinking down there and you're struggling and you're struggling. You're like that old track hoe boy. You're getting down deeper and deeper and deeper. And you're clawing at the sides and you're trying to grab the sides. And you grab a hold and reach out there one time. And what is a cotton picking snake comes out there and wraps on now. You're scared, slapped to death. And, and you struggle even more trying to get away. And invariably, you know what happens? Oh, Why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to me? I mean, I'm talking all alone so black you can't see your hand in front of your face. I'm talking about the smell and the stench of that stuff. And you begin to compromise, you begin to think in your mind, I wonder how I'm going to go. Boy, starving to death and dying of dehydration. Boy, that's a long, hard way to go. God, this is how you reward your servants. I mean, how could you do this to me? What did I do wrong? You even called me from my mother's womb. You didn't even give me a choice. 
Why would you do that? You say, oh, I don't know that he talked that way. What makes you think he didn't? That's how you talk, ain't it? I mean, when you get down in those miry pits, isn't that how you talk? God, why are you doing this to me? I know we shouldn't talk that way. That's how I talk. I don't try to go in there and throw some kind of a, you know, oh, I'm doing great, Lord, Romans 8, 28. I trust you, God. I know you got it. I ain't like Job and all this. Job did not charge God falsely and, and uh, he did not curse God or swear. But he said, naked I came to the world, naked I shall leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I can't say I've always done that. I'm just being honest with you. I wish I could tell you, yeah, oh yeah, man, when I got sick and when she got sick, yeah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, it's a blessed Lord. We're not going to deny you, boy, we're right there with you, Lord. Yes, sir, I mean, I understand, no, man, I'm wiggling in the mud, man. You know what happened? People don't even recognize, they don't even realize what you're going through. They just keep dumping it on you. They just keep dumping it on you. And you get out of the pulpit and you get away from the church and you get in the car and there's vomit all over the floor and diarrhea all over the floor and pain and hurt and up all night and up all day and what are you going to do and what's going to happen and stuff and here comes something else and here comes another problem and here's, well, you know, she said that and well, she said this and well, what about this and what about that and well, I preacher, I just don't think you should have preached that and I think you should have done this and I I think you could have, and you're in a hole. You can't breathe, and it's dark. And you're saying, Lord, <laughs> I wish I could tell you. I wish to God I could stand here and say, oh, I never doubted the Lord. <laughs> I'm a stinking coward, man. I said, Lord, what in the cat here is all this? I didn't quit, but I won't tell you it didn't cross my mind. <laughs> You say, why? Because when you're in the pit, all you know what happens to you for a while there, they just keep dumping stuff in the pit. They don't care you're down there in the bottom. They could care less. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, you know, that old song, that old great Negro spiritual, nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. That's a good one to know. Oh, come on, folks, you're surely not that. Maybe you are that spiritual. I didn't realize I'd already died and gone to heaven. You already got a glorified body and a mind like Christ. <laughs> Have mercy. You ever drowned it in the pain of your past? You ever have somebody come up and look at some of the things that the world did to you and all they do is just dump garbage on you? Like they're better than you because they didn't wind up getting marks? They didn't get covered up with things that they did? I admire you people. You say, why? To come to church and to put up with uh, the chin music of other people looking down on you. You know what? I don't blame you. I understand street people accepted you quicker than Baptists do. It's almost like they think they never failed. I failed. Oh, man, I have failed. (laughs) You just can't see the scars. That don't mean nothing. Jeremiah's down there in that pit. You're down there with him now, or at least I'm trying to get you down there with him. I'm trying to drown you in it. I'm trying to tell you. He is stained. He has got stains on him all over him. He is sinking, the Bible says in the mire. One difference between him and the prodigal that went out there after he spent all and spent the subs and all right, us living it, and out there feeding his hogs and all that. All he got was his feet and his ankles covered up in hog dewy. That boy's buried up to his neck. And he's a preacher. He's not a prodigal. And he's down there in that pit like that. And that old servant comes along. That old slave comes in. Now here's where I changed maybe the story a tad. Not changing the Bible at all. But how does a servant get to go into the king's presence? For some reason that king likes that servant. 
Because he's fixing to, in the passage, two verses above that, he said, y'all do what you want to do there to Jeremiah. I can't do anything about it, right? Well, you're the king, aren't you? What do you mean? He's saying, I know y'all gave to my political campaign and I know y'all gave me money, so uh, y'all go ahead and do what you need to do and that'll be a payback. And then in this passage, Ebed comes into the king and he tells Ebed to go get him out. Don't tell me the king couldn't do it. He changed his mind. Here's what I get in it. What's Ebed got on that king? What if Ebed comes into that king and says, hey boss, how you doing? He said, I'm doing fine, Ebed. What you doing in here? Something going on at the house? A wife upset about something or whatever? I forgot something at the grocery store. I didn't get by the five and dime. I forgot to cut the grass or paint the roof or whatever it might be. What's, what, 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 what did I forget this time? No, sir. No, sir. She's doing just fine. She's good. She, everything fine. With her. Matter of fact, you're going to have fried catfish tonight when you get to the house. And boy, you're going to really like it because I did the cooking. But I got to ask you about something. What's that you got to ask me about, Ebed? He said, King, before I ask a question, let me ask you something. Do you remember where you found me? And the king said, uh, yeah, why are you bringing that up? He said, you don't know, remember, King, I was uh, in a bad way when this whole group of Israelites came through here and destroyed my home and everything else. And I was just a little feller back in those days and covered up man, starving to death and all that. And the king, I remember, I remember. And he kind of took shine to me and let me work there at the house and so on and so forth. And you took care of me. You took me out of a bad place, didn't you, King? He said, yeah, okay, I understand. Sure, I helped you out, Ebed. Why would you bring that story up? You're, you're welcome. I understand. No problem. You can have a piece of catfish tonight. No problem. He said, no, King. He said, there's a preacher down yonder. Now, see, I don't know that that happened. But I know this. I know that the Ebed Elects that have had situation things that have occurred to them in their past, they have a tendency to always be looking to help somebody else because they've been helped out. That's what I know. I think Ebed Melech had had a past. I think all of a sudden, it's interesting. The people that Jeremiah is trying to help, they don't care he's down the pit. They don't even know he's in the pit. Nobody's even tracking him, caring about him. Don't even send him a message. Hey, you okay? Need anything? Everything all right? You good? Everything? Don't even ask. Nothing. Nothing. They don't even know he's in the pit. How's that servant know? He'd been tracking that preacher. He said, hey, king, I just want to let you know... uh, there's a, there's a preacher down there. King said, yeah, no, his name's Jeremiah. I had the boys take him down there. And he bet he said, don't say nothing, man. They contributed to my campaign and stuff like that. It's just the way things are in the political world nowadays. And besides that, that preacher, every time he talks, man, it's always contrary to what I want to do and who I want to be. And, well, you know how he is, King. He's, he's all about the Lord. You know how that is. And, yeah, I know. Well, what do you want? He said, King, that, that preacher's going to starve to death. There ain't no bread. And there ain't no water. And before long, that mud's going to pull all that body heat out of him. He's going to get hypothermia. King, I don't believe you want that uh, preacher's death on your hands. It's going to be bad enough for you anyway. I've heard what he said. But uh, how about if you do me a favor? Could I go down and get him? You see it in the passage? You know, it's a strange thing about the Lord. For some of you folks here, people think the Lord drives a trash truck. The Lord doesn't drive a trash truck. He ain't looking to throw you away. He drives a recycle truck. He'll take you and all the foolishness of your past. You know what he'll do? He'll recycle it and make it something fit for the master's use. He might throw you back up on the wheel, mash you all to pieces again, and put, you know, mash you and you were a teapot, and now you're a plate. You know, I can't tell you what it is, but he'll be for the master's use. He'll be in his hand while he works on you. 
And he goes down there and he said, could I go get him? I don't know, something tripped that king's uh, uh, conscience there or something. And he said, yeah, go ahead and get him. And Ebed starts to go out. And he said, uh, take 30 men with you. Now, the king must have figured he's either going to have some opposition or he knows it's going to take more than Ebed can offer just to pull that preacher out of the pit. Do you know sometimes when you're trying to help somebody, it's beyond your own skill set? You remember Paul's going down there on the ship there to be over in Acts chapter, oh, well, let's see, 27. He's happy, so it must be 26. In chapter number 26, uh, some people are going to jump the ship there. And the Apostle Paul comes up there in Acts 26 and he says to the centurion, he said, listen, everybody will be safe, but they got to stay on the ship and they're fixing to jump ship. Paul knows better than to try to tell him himself. He has to appeal to a higher authority. You know, sometimes what you have to learn to do, sometimes you have to have the help of a doctor. You have to have the help of somebody, even a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a counselor. Sometimes even your pastor doesn't have the abilities. You have to be able to understand that your pastor is there to help you in spiritual things. Sometimes you need a financial counselor. Sometimes you need a carpenter. Sometimes you need a plumber. Sometimes you need a mechanic. Sometimes you need somebody that can do something you can't do. But you know what you have to be willing to do? You have to be willing to say, I need some help. That's above my pay grade. He says, Ebed Melech, he said, go on down there and get him. And Ebed said, okay, boss, I sure appreciate it. Thank you very much. And he gets ready to walk out. And he said, take 30 men with you. And Ebed says, okay, Lord, I'll take the worst of the pile. If the king gave you a king's order and said, you can take whoever you want, who do you think you'd take? I'd take the most skilled individuals I could find. I'd take the special forces, man. I'd take the stinking SWAT team, man. I'd take the highly trained, the ones that are just like they eat raw meat, you know, and, and that kind of a thing. They're down there in the quarters. They don't have anything else to do because the old town's all upset and all that. They're fighting with each other. They're grappling around on the floor and, and they're having fun with each other and throwing spears at each other and throwing knives at each other and stuff. And Ebed walks in. He's just a servant. They don't pay no attention. And he said, hey, fellas, I uh, just want you to know I got an order for the king. It's a rescue mission and they're like oh really man it's like calling out delta force they're like man suit up saddle up let's get going he's like well you know i don't know man i mean the next thing you know man they're falling in line and here's old ebed a servant man he's got 30 men behind him and everybody's thinking man where in the cat here are they going going to get the preacher out i told you a little while ago your preacher can't make it without help and ma'am, I have no idea if you understand the importance of you being here is just as important as men being here. And I hate to say what I'm about to say, but there's more women filling up churches nowadays than there are men because men don't have a backbone anymore. They got a backbone like a cotton string. I'm fortunate. I have a bunch of men with a backbone like a saw log and they may not always be right, but they are always there. And your preacher is going to need that kind of a thing. They got to have men, but they got to have women too. And so one of the things he does is he starts down there on the way and Ebed's saying, okay, now I've got to figure out what to do and we're going to get down there. And he goes down there and he surveys the situation and he looks. Isn't it interesting he knows right where he's at? Do you ever pause to wonder how it is he knows where he's at? Unless he's been there. Unless either he's had to put other people in there or he's been down in there himself before. I like that old thing they used to tell about the fellow that drunk. He fell on the graveside, you know, fell on the grave at nighttime. And the guy comes by and the preacher looks down there and he said, boy, that's terrible. Boy, it's really bad you're down in there. He says, I'll pray for you, you know. And he walks off and sees him later and the priest comes by there and he says, yeah, we'll say a rosary for you tomorrow. And he goes down the road. And next thing, an old guy comes through there and he jumps down in the hole. And the drunk says, man, what did you jump down in here for me? Now we're both down here. He said, no, I've been down here before. I know the way out. 
You see, some of you have been through some trouble. And you don't need to just throw a prayer at them or pray a rosary over them. You know what they need to know? Hey, I've been in this hole before. I'm quoting to you literally 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, you know what it says? He said that the Lord allows you to go through trouble so that those that are going through any trouble, any tribulation, that you can be a help to them. Your problems have a purpose. Your troubles and your trials have a reason. You say, what is it? It makes you a minister. Some of you folks have had things that have happened to you and I can give them the verses and I can clinically tell them things like that. But you walk in and say, you jump in the hole with them and say, I've been here. I hadn't lost my boy. They have. Who do you think would be a better minister to somebody who's lost a child? I mean, I've lost other loved ones, but not my boy. 21? Who do you think would be better at it? So, well, he don't know as many verses and all that. They ain't looking for verses. They don't even look for understanding. They just want somebody that gets it. He looks down in there. I don't know how he knows where he's at, but he looks down in there and he gets ready to slide that hole out of the way. I'm trying to hurry, but just listen to me a minute. He slides that thing out of the way. I think that old preacher looks up and he's seeing a lantern up there like a Coleman lantern. And he's looking up that thing like that and he's thinking, oh boy, here it comes again. Because you see, when you're down in that pit, every time somebody slides a manhole out of the way, you get to a point where you think all they're trying to do is hurt you. You get real sensitive. You get real touchy. And you get real defensive. Sometimes it's like a woman in menopause. You say, it's menopause. No, it ain't nothing little about it. It ain't no meno. It's mano. If your wife's going through menopause, you're saying, man, oh man. You ain't saying many, no, uh-uh. There's stuff going on with her you don't get, you don't understand, and they have written libraries full of books, and they don't get it. You say, what do you have to do? I pray for you, baby. I pray for you. My wife, I'm, 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 I'm going out of my body. I'm, I'm getting, you know how that feels? Call me when you get back, babe. I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. One of the things, one of the side effects of what she's uh, had, the, all the therapies and stuff like that, her doctor told her this year, she said, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to go back through some of the same symptoms that you went through menopause. She said, that'll be worse than the therapy itself. It's terrible, man. Well, you know what happens? You get to thinking when you get in a situation like that. Maybe you're like that now. You get to thinking everybody's against you. Everybody's talking about you. Everybody's laughing at you. Everybody's making fun of you. They roll the manhole out of the way. Oh, boy, here comes some more, you know. He looks down in that hole down there. He says, uh, hey, preacher. Hey, preacher. Jeremiah looks up. He says, yeah, what do you want? There ain't much more room in here. Go ahead, pour it on me. I can't do nothing about it anyway. I just got my arms sitting here above this. I'm just, I'm just floating here on this garbage. The more I struggle, it's like quicksand. I, before long, I'm just going to be drowning in it. What do you want? Preacher, we want to try to help you out. Yeah, well, how are you going to do that, man? I'm so stuck in this mess right here. There ain't no way you and a crane can pull me out. And about that time, 30 heads look down into the hole like this. Hey, preacher, how you doing? We're here to help you too. And he's like, man, where'd you get all them from? And Ebed says, uh, boys, we're we going to have to get us a piece of rope. 
and we're going to need some rags, and we're going to need some cast clouts. That's like patches, like patches for jeans. Back in the day, in my day, when you tore a hole in your jeans, you either had a patch sewed on it, or they had these iron-on patches. Nowadays, you get a new pair of jeans, they intentionally tear a hole in it, and you're supposed to leave it alone. <laughs> and they charge you twice what it's worth. In my day, when you got it tore, you kept patching it until you couldn't patch it, and then it went in the rag bag. Now it's like, man, that's $500 pair of jeans. <laughs> it's got holes where they ought not be no holes, man. Amen. Holes are where it's supposed to be pockets. Anyway, you understand the story. And so he says, hey, guys, go on. And he says, hey, you want me to go get the special? You want me to get this? You want me to get that? We can back this. He said, no, man, I tell you what we're going to need. I need a piece of rope. And I need some rags. And I need some old patches. In and of themselves, they can't even make a garment. Okay, they come running back, man, with some rags. Hey, man, <laughs> I went down to the dumps, the only place I could find the rags. <laughs> and, man, they stink. He said, good, because where they're going to go, they won't bother, the smell won't bother them. You hearing me, rag? There's some of you been through yet, hadn't you? You know what that rag's used for? Hey, preacher, put these rags under your armpits. You know where them armpits have been? You know how long it's been since that boy had a shower? You know what a rag doesn't mind? He doesn't mind the smell of the armpits. You know what I admire about though Aaron and her over there in the Bible? It's one of my favorite stories about Aaron and her. I remember that passage over there and I get to reading about it and I'm thinking Aaron's a high priest and this and that and the other. You'd kind of expect him to step up. Here's a nondescript man by the name of her. H-U-R, her. He comes in from work that day and stuff, and his wife says, "Well, you're late for dinner. Where the cat hair you been?" He said, "I've been out fighting a battle." She said, "Old man, you ain't been fighting no battle. You can't fight battle. You can't chunk a spear and swing a saber. What is wrong? You've been fighting a battle. Oh yeah, hadn't been for me today, baby. We'd have lost the war. Oh yeah, whatever, honey. You've been smoking crack or something. You've been down there on them back streets and all that kind of stuff on A Street and B Street down there, picking up some rocks here and there, man. <laughs> Come here, let me see if there's powder on your nose, man. Come here, let me see those veins and see what you got." Got some needle mark. What are you talking like a fool for, you old fool? You've been hitting the bottle again or something? No, I ain't been hitting the bottle. Leave me alone, woman. I'm, I won the war. I won the battle today. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, but if it wasn't for me in that valley of decision today, we'd have lost that battle. Oh, yeah, what'd you do? Well, you know, we saw the old preacher. He's up there and he was praying and holding his arms up and it didn't take me long to recognize as long as he had his arms up, he's in contact with the Lord, man. <laughs> We was winning that battle. And he said, but I started noticing that preacher got tired. And he said, Aaron said to me, hey, man, uh, we better go help the preacher. He said, well, what are we going to do? We can't say the prayers and do all the stuff he's doing. He's in contact with God. He sits with him for 40 days up there, comes down and face shines like a stinking glowing light bulb, man. What do you mean, what are we going to do? He said, I don't know when we get there. And Moses says, boys, he said, I get my hands up here like this. And he said, when my hands start to come down, he said, we start losing ground. And then by the time they get here, man, we're losing the battle and we're losing manpower. He said, but I ain't young as I used to be and I just can't keep them up. And so uh, Aaron says, uh, well, I can get one side. And here, her said, well, I can get the other side. And Moses says, well, I've been out here in the sun a long time, boys, and I'm sure it smells under there. And her says, I'll hold my breath if you can. And Aaron says, who cares about a little smell? There's lives on the line. And they run up underneath there and they hold that old man's hands up and Joshua wins the battle down there. And her comes in that day to get his dinner for her. Yeah, I've been fighting a battle. 
if he hadn't have done what he did. You say, what did he do? Well, it was just a little thing. All he did was get under somebody's armpit. You know how armpit smells? Everybody has two of them, and they both stink at one time or another. They're like opinions. And so all of a sudden, they come up there, and they say, I need some rags. He looks down to that hole. I'm coming to an end now. He looks down that hole like this, and he says, hey, preacher. He said, yeah. He said, listen, man, I want you to put this rope around you. He said, man, when they dropped me down in here, my skin is so thin, man. That rope burnt me up, man. It tore holes in my skin. I'm sure I'm going to get infected. I'm going to have all kind of problems, and man, it hurt. It tore me up. I mean, they got me about six feet from here and just dropped me down in this thing, man. I just sunk down in the mud. He said, preacher. What I want you to do is take these old rags and take these old cast clouts and take that and put them around where that rope's going to be on you to give you a little bit of comfort. We're going we're gonna to tug on you here and it's going to hurt to come out of the hole. Did you know when you're trying to pull somebody out of the hole, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes there's pain involved? You ever pull an attic out of a hole? It don't happen overnight. It takes time. Sometimes they relapse. I saw one girl one night, four times in one night, they popped her with Narcan. She got out of the hospital, she got away from rescue one time, and got away and rescued a second time. Next time she was in the ER, they hit her in ER with two cans of it, and she got back out and was headed back out to go get popped again. He said, well, why is that? Sometimes you pull them out of the hole, it takes time. Well, I just think that's a waste of time. Well, if that was your daughter or your granddaughter, you want to just let her die? Is that what you would do? I just let her go. She's just a drain on society. <laughs> you know, that need for Narcan got so bad, some of the smaller counties and smaller communities that were doing that, that they stripped their entire city budget just buying enough Narcan to take care of all the addicts. And now you've got fentanyl on there. But if you never had that kind of addiction, you don't, even know, you don't even know what you're talking about. You can't get it. It ain't the same as coming off liquor, cigarettes, chewing tobacco, pornography, whatever else you're jacked up on. Facebook, whatever it may be that you're addicted to. It ain't the same. You know what happens? Sometimes it takes time. It takes patience. And you know what he does? He gets down there and he says, Preacher, now he said, Man, listen, you old skinny, scrawny little uh, servant, you. You can't pull me out of here. He said, Preacher, I got these other fellows here with me. So they put the rope around him and they put them old rags there. You know about a rag, I'd like to say this about the rag if I could please. If you don't want to be a rag for the Lord, you have not paying much attention to who's holding you. You may only wipe dipsticks and you might wipe off windshields and you might clean somebody's uh, shelf or you might just do little things around, sweep up carpet and clean out toilets and stuff like that. You say, well, I ain't nothing but a rag. I ain't no preacher and I ain't no singer and I ain't this and I ain't that. I ain't nothing but a rag. Yeah, but look whose hand you're in. You're in the Lord's hand. The nail part, Prince, you're closer than the guy that's talking for him. He's holding you. Well, they get ready to get down there and a little tension comes up on the rope. And that preacher, oh man, that hurts. He's hollering out, man. My little old father-in-law, he's a little bitty feller. He's a 96, uh, 97 this year. He had a pretty bad episode about three weeks ago. And they had him strapped down in quad restraints there in the hospital. And horrible, horrible deal. Thought it was going to be the end of things. He'd been fighting against those things for three days, laying up there in that bed. And came time they were going to go ahead and try to let us get him back home. I'll tell you just a real quick story. Just a bag of bones laying there. He probably don't weigh, oh, I'd say maybe, 100 and, maybe 125 pounds, maybe at most. Not much more than that. Maybe 140, I don't know, but not much more than that. And he's laying there, man, and he got ready to get him up. And he'd been fighting all that stuff, all bruised up and banged up from all of the restraints and the straps and stuff on him and stuff like that. And 
she had gone out, so I tried to get him up. Everywhere I touched him, he hollered. It hurt him. Everywhere I touched him. He got dementia, bad dementia. But he knew pain, boy. And I'd touch his ribs, and it hurt, and I'd touch his hand. His skin just, just eat up, boy. I mean, those restraints on him, just purple and black and blue and all that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to get him up, and I, I'm trying to help him. And then I, I get my hands around him this way to try to help him to stand up, to get him over to the wheelchair. And the whole time he's hollering. You say, why? He's been down in a hole for a few days, man. It hurts. It's painful when somebody's coming out. You've got to be aware of that. You don't snatch them out with a snatch rope. You've got to pull them out slow. Why? It hurts. Those boys lean in. I think they all turn in one direction and they lean, put that rope over there. And that first boy, that lead horse man, he leans into that rope. And the rest of them lean in. And gradually, just slowly, gradually, your wee bed's calling the shots. Slow down a little bit. Slow down. They're pulling him up and pulling him up. He comes out naked as the day he was born, man. Covered in mud and muck and mire and poop and urine and vomit and smelling. Got everything on him, man. Which reminds me to say, sometimes when you're trying to help out people, you know what you might want to remember? You don't know what condition they might be in when they come out. Sometimes it's pretty unsightly. Sometimes it stinks. When they get ready to bring him up, I think the, the 30 guys, I think they make a circle around the preacher, but I think they turn their backs around. I think they got him in here. And I think Ebed's in there, and I think he's got one of them rags. You know, I think he's doing, I think he's taking that rag and he's saying, it's going to be all right, preacher. It's going to be okay, preacher. Gets him a little water. Brings out that thing. It's going to be all right. We got you, preacher. We got you. <coughs> oh, preacher, you're just preaching now. No, I'm telling the truth. I think he took those rags and those rags weren't just for under his armpits. I think they were used to wipe all the stains off of him. Clean him up. I think those rags, as best they could be, they were giving them there to cover him up. I mean, after all, the Lord made an apron to cover up Adam and Eve when they were out there in the garden. The first thing he did was protect them from being ashamed. You ever seen old people lose their dignity? It's a terrible thing. Those old people, they start getting old and things like that, and even if they have lost their mind, they recognize, man, the minute that you all of a sudden they're not wearing regular uh, underclothing and stuff, you've got the diapers or the depends, they know. They know. That's so sad, man. That's so pitiful. Watch them lay there in the hospital bed and just watch their eyes drop, man, and watch tears come out, boy, and drain off on the sides of their cheeks and things like that. Somebody has to come in and help them go to the bathroom and help clean them up after they're done. So ashamed, so so ashamed. You realize sometimes when people come out of a hole, ladies and gentlemen, boy, it ain't no telling how bad they might stink. You say, what do you got to do? Give them some dignity. You don't have to look at them. Don't stare at them. Man, where'd you get that scar? Man, how'd you get that? Man, what happened to you? Don't, don't just protect them from everybody looking at them. They get that old preacher back up on the top like that, those 30 guys that are there, and now they're all united together, boy, around him. They're daring anybody to try to take him. They take him in there, and I think Ebed probably says, what the Lord said to Elijah under the juniper tree. You hungry? He said, man, I hadn't had nothing to eat. I could eat the north end of a southbound mule right now. He said, well, preacher, he said, you know, over in the king's house tonight, they're going to have catfish. He says, I got you a plate. I got you some bread. I know a guy downtown, and I got you some fresh water. Why don't you set a spell right here and 
take the load off. That's the middle of the passages there. You're not even to the end of the book of Jeremiah. He becomes a great prophet. He was already a great prophet. He's the one that gives you all the stuff in lamentation and all that other stuff. But there's one more thing to the story. If you're any reader at all, you're thinking to yourself, well, what happened to Ebed Melech? <laughs> well, you read a little bit tonight when you get home and you'll go over just a couple of chapters. You know what you'll find? Jeremiah calls him in one day and he says, hey, uh, Ebed, he said, yes, sir, preacher, how you doing, man? Sure is good to see you, man. Boy, you look good. You're filling out a little bit, man. You're, you're coming along, boy. He says, yeah, I've been eating. By the way, sure do appreciate you helping me out, but uh, I have a message for you. Oh, yes, sir, preacher, whatever. The Lord wanted me to tell you something. Oh, what did the Lord want to tell me? Well, he said for me to tell you, Ebed, that uh, this whole city and town's fixing to get raided and they're fixing to get trodden underfoot and all that, and... Ebed said, well, you know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, no, Ebed. He said, for me to tell you, uh, the Lord will take care of you and you and your family will escape. Ebed said, well, why would I escape and everybody else is under? And Jeremiah said, well, I reckon it's because you helped me. And by helping me, you're helping the Lord. You don't see that in the story, do you? It's there. Read it. Ebed, yes, sir, preacher. You're going to escape. Why? You help somebody in trouble. You know what? Jeremiah recognized, he realized, I can't get out of this hole on my own, and I'm beyond myself, and I am beyond, without hope, and it doesn't look like God's going to be around. And God never forgot him. But Jeremiah thought he did. You ever thought God forgot you? God doesn't know where you are. God forgot where you are, what you're doing, what you're going through. Jeremiah felt that way. Elijah felt that way. It's enough, just let me die. Moses felt that way. Why don't you give me these people? I don't know nothing about these people. Why don't you even just kill me? Job said, I wish I was aborted from my mother's womb, man. What in the world you put me through all this kind of stuff for? Paul said, I'm trouble on every side and this and that and the other and problems come and difficulties come. But he said, I know in whom I am persuaded that he is able to keep me against that day and I know that neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor tribulation nor things to come nor things below and so on and so forth can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He has fellowship with him. You're down in that pit today. You know what will happen? You say, Lord, could you send me some help, please? Could I ask you this? Would you mind being a rag or a cast clout tonight? How about an Ebed Melech? How about 30 men that are in that Bible? If the type is true, you know what the Lord would do? For those 30 men that Ebed picked with him, they would have been safe too. Ebed would have just been the illustration of that. Could you be an Ebed Melech? Could you help somebody out? Could you just send them down a rope? He said, preacher, I ain't got nothing up. All he had was a rope and a rag. <laughs> you do have what can help people. It's just a willingness to help. The Lord gives you a chance to help. That's what ministry is all about. That's what Christianity is about. But here it is and I'm done. Some of you are down there where we first started. And you're down in that pit, discouragement and depression and you wiggle around. The more you wiggle, the deeper you get. You don't see any of And I'm, I'm going to hate to tell you this. There's going to be people around you who seem to be well-meaning people. And they seem, but you know what they do? They'll keep you in that hole. They're actually keeping you prisoner. 
Is what they're trying to do is they're trying to hook you up into their sorrow and their anger and their bitterness and their grief and things like that. And they, they wind up hooking you up and just keeping you down there. They're not trying to help you out. They like it while you're there. You say, why? They intend to waller in it from now on. And the Lord tonight, you know what he'll do? He'll send you a rope. That's what he's doing. You say, what are you? Just a rope. Nondescript. He'll help you with the Holy Spirit to pad yourself with some rags and some rocks. And he'll say, now if you hold on, I'll pull you out. You say, what are that preacher? You know, what did he have to do with it? Nothing. He tied off the knot and there was nothing he could do. He just had to trust them to pull him out. You got to trust the Lord to take you out. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe the preacher would like to come close however he sees fit. But can I ask you a question tonight? You ever been in that pit with Jeremiah? It's enough, Lord. I'm it. I'm done. I'm through. I'm finished. You ever been in a situation where you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I know some people in there, maybe my kids, my grandkids, some prodigals and this and that and the other. You know what, if the Lord will let me, I'd love to be a rock, a, re- a rope, or a rag. Preacher, I never realized the Lord could use rags. Sure, man, He used rags. He used swaddling clothes to wrap the baby in. And after that, all He did was just put a napkin over the Lord's head. Sure He can.